This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show on a Monday, and I am fired up. There's a lot to go over today. I got a lot of thoughts about today's news. Starting with this. Over the weekend, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas openly admitted without a care in the world that some 12,000 Haitian migrants are now freely roaming in the United States. Don't worry, I'm sure they're going to show up at their asylum hearings. Sure they are. It comes as we are learning just how ticked off Border Patrol is with President Biden. Plus, we're going to get to the latest on Hunter Biden now. Left-leaning Politico appears to have confirmed some of the emails Hunter sent on his laptop. But the White House, even in response to one of its favorite publications, confirming large portions of the New York Post reporting that was suppressed during the presidential campaign, still insists it's all just Russian disinformation. We're going to speak with Saurabh Amari, op-ed editor for The New York Post. Uh, they were the ones who broke the story, uh, you know, a year plus ago during the campaign. And we'll hear what he has to say about that. He's fired up about the lack of coverage and outrage over this story. Right. And then and then they want to look at us and say, you will accept that the election was fair. You will. Well, I mean, we can talk about the vote, but the election itself, the media coverage and so on. Really? Anyway, first, we're going to get into the border and all the developments with COVID uh, this morning, because there are a lot with my guest, Robbie Suave. I like it. Suave. He's a senior editor at Reason Magazine, which I also like a lot, and the author of the new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future Out Tomorrow. Robbie, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to talk with you. Okay. I love Reason. Um, and I think the title of your book is interesting, too, because as angry as we get with Facebook and social media, um, it will be nice. I was reading sort of just like a long summary of the book. And I was at first I was like, this is bullshit. No, this is wrong, too. No, they're terrible. And then when I got done reading, I was like, I feel better. <laughs> I feel better based on what Robbie is telling me. So we'll get into that in a minute. But let's start with the news headlines. Um Okay, the border. So you've got uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas on Fox News Sunday being pretty explicit about how many of those now the numbers 30,000 Haitians had crossed into Del Rio. Uh, Some of them were sent back. Some of them were sent to other places. And Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday asked Secretary Mayorkas how many were released into the United States. Here's what he said. To answer my question directly of the 17,400 
that weren't deported back or didn't return on their own to Mexico, how many of them either, well, first, how many have been released into the U.S.? Uh, They're released on conditions and and, uh, approximately, I think it's about 10,000 or so. 12,000 have been released. Yes. And of the 5,000 that are still in process, we will uh, make determinations whether they will be uh, returned uh, to uh, Haiti uh, based on our public health and public interest uh, authorities. So are we talking about a total of 12,000 or could it be even higher? It could uh, it could be even higher. This is they look at us and say, The border's closed. The border is closed. It doesn't feel closed. And even if they've closed it now, which they haven't, what are we going to do about 12,000 plus Haitian migrants in the country who absolutely will not be showing up for those asylum hearings? And even if they do, only 15 percent get it and the rest are just released into the United States thereafter. It's ridiculous to pretend that we even have any sort of immigration policy. And I mean, the administration is it is this is shameful, shameful deception uh, to say that they're that they're pl- that they're planning for this. They're organized. I mean, the 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 reality is we have thousands of people coming through illegally in unsafe conditions on on you know on both sides of this journey um, that that are overwhelming the border that we're, we're not prepared to handle. That we have no plan to deal with this, and it ends up making a case against against immigrants and against immigration when you do it like this, because, you know, the, the, the citizens uh, of this country rightly hate this happening. And they're they're um, we're annoyed by the unfairness of, you know, people jumping lines and people not following our laws. I I'm an advocate for for increased immigration in general, uh, but I, I think it has to be legal immigration. I, I think we should have a policy to you know make it easier to to vet people. And then we know who they are and and bring them here. But this way of doing it undermines the entire idea of having immigration. It's really like it's such a big setback for that cause. And the administration is just totally unconcerned by it. They're acting like they don't even care. They absolutely are acting that way. And and there was a follow up about the wall. Right. And I realize the wall is not the be all end all and it's not going to solve all immigration problems, even if we were to build it, which, you know, we haven't even under Trump. But Listen to the speaking of the cavalier attitude, listen to Mayorkas, Mr. Mayorkas, when it comes to the wall. It is this the policy of this administration. Uh, We do not agree with the building of the wall. The law provides that individuals can make a claim for humanitarian relief. That is actually one of our proudest traditions. Okay, so maybe in general, if we just hadn't dealt with 30,000 Haitians suffering down there, making these decisions based on Biden's very laissez-faire attitude toward the border, you could say that. But right now, we've had a lot of people suffering unnecessarily because of Biden's projections about our southern border. We've had a lot of border agents now in trouble for doing absolutely nothing wrong. Um, And now he's up there sort of bragging about how wonderful we are. You know, we're so proud not to have a wall and to welcome immigrants like this. And we're getting rid of the horses. Remember that whole that nonsense that whips were being used. I mean, that was a you know, that's a media distortion. And then and for the Obama administration, the White House care, they care. That's all they care about is positive coverage from the media. So they'll do whatever the media wants to get it and not speak to the concerns that many Americans have about. And, and, and you know, I think I think we want we're, we're con- we were concerned about, you know, the, the the housing of these immigrants, the the detention facilities. You know, nobody wants that. What people people want a humane and sane immigration policy. People plan to come here, a- apply to come here. There's some kind of process and then they can do it. Not, you know, rushing across 
stream beds in, in really unsafe conditions. That's just not the way to do it. And, and, and the, the Biden approach has all but guaranteed that that's what we're going to have. Yeah, it's such a lie because it would be one thing if disaster had struck in Haiti, which, of course, it has repeatedly. And these folks somehow made it immediately up here. But what we're told is that these folks have been in Mexico for some 10 years and they, they've just come across the border now because they sense an opportunity under this president. That's not what asylum is is for. Asylums to get you out of an immediately dangerous situation in your country, get you out to another country where that situation doesn't exist. You don't cross all the way from Haiti all the way up to the United States 10 years later and say, I'm ready for my asylum. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, you know, it's so interesting too, that this is happening, you know, during, during the pandemic where Americans are, (laughs) have been forced to live with just wild new restrictions in so in terms of so much of, w- of what they're doing there there's no end to what the government can do to you know prohibit you from socializing from working etc but we're not going to, they 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 wouldn't consider having a stricter uh immigration policy even though that would actually that's probably something if we'd done it right from the get-go would have been good to prevent the spread of covid-19 and like that's unthinkable uh but 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 you know masking two-year-old children <laughs> indefinitely that's that that makes normal sense it's so true that's that's one of the reason this really burns and one of the reason i love reason by the way one of the reasons i love reason um is because you guys are sort of libertarian like get get your hands off of me you know that's the sort of how i how i read reason it's just like government get the hell off of me and i i feel like i too have a strong libertarian streak in me especially these days but the other thing about um what's happening in the southern border is this crazy crackdown on these couple of border agents now the horses are gone as you mentioned because of the alleged whipping incident which didn't happen they continue to be happen. maligned right they continue to be maligned including by the president who has said, this is a quote, we played it on Friday, um, I promise you those people, meaning the Border Patrol agents, will pay. There is an investigation underway right now and there will be consequences. So I'm sure the Border Patrol agents are feeling really secure about a free and fair investigation into their actions. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the smartest things that, to give him credit, that Biden did when he was running for president, the reason he, he kind of had an easy time of it in the primary is he knew or his team knew to ignore to a much greater degree than the other candidates, the very woke, progressive, liberal Twitter bubble that so much of the Democratic Party is always catering to that audience, even though it's a, it's a tiny audience. It's a very loud and active on social media audience, but it doesn't represent a lot of voters. So the, the, the best thing you can do is ignore those people, speak to the actual American people. Biden was better at doing that than many of the other candidates. But now, you know, in, in terms of his actual governing, I, I think he, he is often or his maybe I don't <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on in his own head, but his staff gets distracted by these things. This is a quintessential example of, oh, no, you know, we're getting yelled at by the most woke of the woke people scolding people. How can we, how can we satisfy them? Okay, let's get rid of this horses. They're, they're really concerned about this, even though no one, no one else thought that was any kind of issue or believes that's any kind of issue, but they, they, they want to mollify them. Right. I mean, they're, it's like they were shocked to see the border patrol patrolling the border. (laughs) Like they're trying to make sure that no more people get in, that the people who are there stay away from the horses, keep the situation safe. There's absolutely nothing to show us whipping of anybody with the horse reins or otherwise. And they continue to show us this one picture of a Border Patrol agent on a horse using the reins and trying to get a man away from him without whipping the man. 
at all as evidence of whipping. And it isn't. And just use your eyes. I've said all along, I'm open minded. Show me the pictures. I'll look at them. Haven't seen them yet, but I continue to see media headlines telling me not to believe my lying eyes. Instead, I choose not to believe them. By the way, Governor Abbott of Texas has come out and so to said to those Border Patrol agents who are absolutely going to get fired. They've been put on desk duty. Um, there's no question because the investigation is already fixed. You heard it right from the president uh, that he that they can have jobs with him, with the Texas Border Patrol. So good for him. Because Abbott's been put in a pickle and trying to deal with this himself since the feds are not helping. All right. So picking up on on your point about the juxtaposition between come on in, welcome to America, land of the free to the Haitian migrants. But to actual Americans, it's F you put your mask on, keep your kid masked all day long. The hand of big governments, not only over your face, it's in your arm. It's everywhere. And by the way, none of those Haitian migrants has to have a vaccine and not one has been tested for COVID that we have no idea whether they have COVID. These 12,000 plus folks in the country right now going God knows where. We have no idea whether they have active COVID and that that was not a cleanly place down in Del Rio. Um, It was under a bridge, for God's sake, with no running water. And um, and they and they won't. Nobody was given the vaccine. Meanwhile, Robbie, today, New York City schools could lose up to 100 teachers uh, and more. uh, Plenty of other agents who help the teachers, you know, like janitors and so on, because not everybody wants to get the vaccine. And Mayor de Blasio is saying, F you, get it or you're fired. And and we're ready, even to the tune of thousands, he says. We have thousands of backup. You'll get it or you'll get fired. Uh, it's going up now. The, his mandate is going up to the Second Cert- uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, which oversees New York. That'll be heard on Wednesday. But it's not just New York City teachers. New York State now saying it may call in the National Guard to replace unvaccinated health care workers. The governor here. Our new governor, who replaced Andrew Cuomo, says she's considering employing National Guard and out-of-state medical workers to fill hospital staffing shortages with tens of thousands of workers possibly about to lose their jobs for not meeting today's deadline for mandated vaccination. I mean, and it's not just them. In Connecticut, where I am now, bus drivers threatening to walk off um, as some 230 of them are refusing to get vaccinated. There's already a shortage of bus drivers here. They don't want to be forced to say it. They say, look, we, we keep the windows open. The kids walk by us for a total of one and a half seconds. And we were allowed to drive unvaccinated for a year. So why do we have to do this? The bus is already too few. They're already too crowded. And here, too, the governor is considering using the National Guard. So we're going to fire all these people, bus drivers, teachers, janitors, healthcare workers who got us through the pandemic, even the ones with natural immunity, because they won't get this mandated vaccine. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. And that's very key. That last thing that you just said, these mandates are for the most part, the, the Biden mandate, the one being forced on 80 million private sector workers. I mean, you, that, you were talking about public sector workers. And I think we can certainly debate the merits of, of forcing these people. But I, I would at least accept that it, it, it's it, it can be done to, to for it's, it's legal if, it, if we're talking about public employees. Private the private employee mandate is additionally insane because this is just straight up uh, uh, compelling private citizens, and they're not exempting natural uh, immunity, which we know from the data, from looking at it, that you're, you're, you have very robust protection if you know if you've had uh, a COVID, if you've re- recovered from a COVID infection. I just don't see, you know, more philosophically, I don't really see the value of compelling people at this level to do something that they don't want to do. I, you know, I'm obviously, I've been vaccinated. I think everyone should get vaccinated. I want them to approve vaccines for young people and then families can make that choice. 
but it ought to be a choice. And I don't think it persuades more people when you know, the big government you know, has, the, has the needle in its fist and is looming over people. Is that really what's persuasive? I don't think that's what's persuasive at this point. They don't Make care. Make it easier for people, reward people. They're not people, trying to persuade. Also, they're, right, they're not trying to persuade. Because if they were, you know what they would do? They should pair uh, pushes for vaccination with easing up of other restrictions. They should say, please, yes. you know, get vaccinated and then you can throw away the mask. You don't have to yes. social distance back to normal. That's what they said initially. And then they took that back. They have gone wildly in the other direction. No, get vaccinated. We're going to make you. And then you should mask up just as intensely. In fact, double mask now. That's what they're saying. It's crazy. Right. And the and the explanation is, well, Delta, Delta is very contagious. Delta can be spread even by vaccinated people. So we have to have the mask back on. OK, OK, I'll accept that. But then stop pushing me to get vaccinated, because if if I if I can get it from a vaccinated person, just the same as I can get it from an unvaccinated person. Why are you mandating these masks everywhere? Right. It's like I can get it from anybody. Why are you mandating mandating the vaccines, I should say. Right. So it's like if I'm standing next to one guy who's vaccinated and one guy who's not vaccinated, I can get it from either one. Why are you telling me the vaccine is absolutely the solution to me getting it? It's the solution to them winding up in the hospital. I get that argument, right? You have a way less chance of winding up in the hospital or dead. But something's got to give. You can't just keep everybody masked and under a mandatory vaccine forevermore. And I don't know, Robbie, you tell me because you're like I am. You don't like the big thumb of government on you. I'm starting to feel like like the water is rising and it's starting to cover my mouth and then it's going to cover my nose. I'm starting to have that feeling of like, oh, my God, like they're everywhere. They're never going to get off of me. Well, and I'll tell you, the scariest thing is I've been looking just in the last like week or two, I've been looking at college campus COVID policies. You know, these are at at the more liberal and elite and prestigious the institution, your Harvard's, your Yale's, your Columbia's, your Stanford's, et cetera. Their COVID mitigation policies are insane, even by the standards of COVID mitigation for now for populations that are almost entirely vaccinated and disproportionately young. So these are the people at the least risk of a negative COVID outcome. And they are telling people the cafeterias are being shut down. You eat alone by yourself in your dorm room, see no one, socialize with no one, wear a mask even when you're outside, wear a mask when you're like jogging by yourself. It's it's a it's a dystopia. It's a it's so crazy. And then, of course, what we've seen is that a lot of norms on college campuses and we've seen this over the last 10 years with norms with respect to free speech and, you know, woke ism, that kind of stuff have spread to all our all our other uh, institutions. So I'm very worried that as, as repressive as it is right now. It might even get worse and it oh having no gosh. bearing on what the state of the pandemic is. We have to talk. The pandemic about, is likely we, to get less bad. <laughs> can we talk about that? The Oberlin College. You you. Oh, my God. Posted yeah. a story on this is where I got it from you about what's happening. at Oberlin College. Very nice college uh, in Ohio. Lena Dunham went there. But so did my mother-in-law. A lot of great people went there. <laughs> of course, she's now 85. So it was a long time ago. My point is um, they seem to have lost their ever loving minds. And reading your article about the actual warning. I don't know how, if you have it in front of you. I've got it in front of me. This is from you. Um, students should eat outside or alone in their rooms. And only under those two circumstances should they even think about demasking. <laughs> they say the only time you may take off your mask is when you are in your room alone or with your roommate. Masks may be removed while eating outdoors or alone in your room with your roommate. Like you don't even think about taking off that mask unless you're sitting by yourself. <laughs> I, I have a I have a theory that the mask has become sort of like the MAGA hat 
for Trump people. The mask is is like an identifying. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a piece of equipment or it's a piece of clothing that identifies you as a member of Team Blue. You are a Biden voter. You are a good liberal. You know, you're on the side of Dr. Fauci and the science. You, you didn't vote for Trump. This is how you you signify who you are to other people. <laughs> when you you know, I see if you see someone driving and they're in the car by themselves, they're wearing a mask <laughs> like, you know, you yes. know, that person voted for Biden. Right. That, oh, it's, that so is sad. Their, it's a it's a bumper sticker. That's all it is. And it, it really is that. It's so point. sad when I see that. Like, I, I, will, I give a pass to anybody with gray hair. I really do. Like anybody sure. who is old and really genuinely very vulnerable to this disease. You mask it up, sister. You do three masks if you want. I get it. It is it is very deadly for that age group. You see a young, obviously healthy woman alone in her car and she's got her mask on, I think. Oh, sister. Oh, like, come back. It's okay. You're going to yeah. be fine. Come back. I'm here in Washington, D.C., and I, I still see, I don't know, 25, 30. I did a count the other day. It was about 35% of people that I encounter on the street just kind of walking to work are, are wearing masks outdoors by themselves. You know, this is something even the CDC doesn't say is necessary. Like, this is, this is caution beyond what our, to my mind, very overly cautious government health officials have recommended. And yep. in our nation's capital, a lot of people are going a step beyond that. And I, 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 I mean, I feel sorry for them, but you can make what, you know, as a libertarian, I think you should make whatever choice is in, that you want to make is in your best interest. That's fine. That's fine by me. But don't tell me what to do. And this co- the COVID mitigation policies still operate at the level of, nope, everyone is going to do what the most risk averse health official or government official is prescribing for everyone. Yes. And, and that is just, yes. it's, it's, there, there's no reason for it. You can, and every, the, you can get the, the vaccine and protect yourself and take whatever additional precautions you want to take, but please leave me alone at this point. And the infuriating part, which I, you've been writing a lot about too, and we've been talking about, about a lot here too, is just the exceptions for the elites, right? It's like, so the bus drivers who brought their asses into work and brought kids for, to the schools that were willing to stay open all last year when we didn't know what was what, they did it. Uh, or the help, like the nurse who exposed herself to COVID patients before we had a vaccine, before we had any meaningful treatments, she got it and she took the risk to take care of people. Those people are about to get fired for not getting this mandatory vaccine. But we can see elite after elite, whether it's Obama at his birthday party or AOC at the Met Gala or all the Emmy stars at the Emmys, they do not have to wear their masks. They can parade around while the serfs on their knees around them wear all of theirs. The the migrants coming across the southern border, they don't have to get the mandatory. It's like people are starting to notice the absurd hypocrisy that we are being that we're witnessing and the lies that we are being fed. It, it looks like the 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 optics of the Hunger Games when you have like the Met Gala yes. and you have all these unmasked celebrities and AOC, et cetera. And then all the staff behind them is is masked up. It's 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 gone. It's so appallingly one rule for the elites and another for everyone else. The elites are not following these policies. Our mayors have been caught time. Our, our the Democratic mayors caught time and time again not following their policies. In D.C., the mayor Mariel Bowser has thrice thrice <laughs> been caught maskless at a, at a social event, a uh. wedding, a birthday party. Uh, the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, was, you know, maskless at a concert, dancing, partying. And then she's asked about it. And she's like, what, what, what are you? I'm vaccinated. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to 
put on a mask in between sips of water. That's insane. And you know what? She's right. Right. We're like, welcome to our team. Law. (laughs) Exactly. We're like, Mayor, welcome. Welcome to the dark side. That's where we all are. But she's the one who, you know, in her day job is spooning these mandates down our throats, which is why, obviously, it's infuriating. Okay, we're going to talk about the a couple of new things after this break, how Mayor de Blasio got booed at this muckety muck event with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Uh, And we're going to talk about Robbie's take on booster shots in a minute and his new book joined today by Robbie Suave. Don't miss him. We're picking back up with him in two minutes. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back, everyone, to The Megan Kelly Show. I'm joined today by Robbie Suave. He's senior editor of Reason Magazine and author of the brand new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future Out Tomorrow. Okay, so before I get to how I think the tide is turning a bit, I think I do think people are, they're feeling like I am, like the water up to here and they've had it. Can I, I missed this because we were building up to September 11th and people were focused on more important messages. Uh, but Lena Wen, who used to run Planned Parenthood, was on CNN and you wrote a response to this. And this is her attitude. She's a far left person. It is so indicative of everything we have seen from these sort of elites and their noses turned up against the unvaccinated, whether they've had COVID before or not. This is what she has to say is the solution to those who remain unvaccinated. That there are privileges associated with being an American, that if you wish to have these privileges, you need to get vaccinated. Travel and having the right to travel in our state, it's not a constitutional right as far as I'm as far as I know to um, to to uh, to board a plane. And so saying that if you want to stay unvaccinated, that's your choice. But if you want to travel, you better go get that vaccine. Okay, so. People need to stay in their homes. That's it. Forget Olbermann's policy of stay in your home when you're eating right by yourself. That's when you can take off your mask. She's like, if you're unvaccinated, don't leave. That's it. You don't get to go outside anymore. I mean, she's all but suggesting that the unvaccinated should have numbers tattooed to their to their faces. Right. I mean, it's it's nakedly tyrannical. Um, By the way, she's wrong. It is a constitutional right to be able to travel from state to state. Um, (laughs) The very first purpose of our of of having a federal uh, uh, government was was to like resolve squabbles uh, between the states. You act. So maybe maybe there's no specific right to, to take a plane or a train. But but yes, the government cannot prohibit people from traveling broadly. I, I mean, she is she is speaking from this 
perspective that is treating the unvaccinated like they're lepers or something like they're like they're an other like they're subhuman. And I don't I, I think that's morally wrong. I think that's practically wrong. Again, I am all about trying to encourage more people to get vaccinated. Same. I don't think treating them this way is is useful is going to is going to I think that will make some people even more defiant about not wanting to get vaccinated mm. because you're, you know, you're, you're deplorableizing them. And it's just, and it, it speaks to her. She has such a rather cruel mindset uh, for, for how we should, uh, for how we should behave to our fellow mm-hmm. Americans. She, she said it's this, we should look at the choice to remain unvaccinated the same as we look at driving while intoxicated. That, that basically it's the same thing. My not getting vaccinated, which, by the way, I did get vaccinated and I believe in the vaccines, too. I'd love to see everybody get them, you know, if your doctor says it's good for you. But um, that that's the same as getting completely hammered and get, getting behind the wheel of a dangerous instrumentality. Yeah, it, which is wrong. It, it, it's not uh, driving, uh, driving while intoxicated does put other people at risk. You shouldn't do that. It should be illegal. Uh, but not the people who are the unvaccinated are mostly uh, putting their own lives at risk and the risks of other unvaccinated people. If you want to be protected, you can get vaccinated. It's it's you can look at the data. Our, our hospitals are are, are filled up mo- overwhelmingly with people who are unvaccinated. The people who are dying mm-hmm. are overwhelmingly the unvaccinated. So you can you can address this concern by being vaccinated. If someone else is going to make a different choice, maybe that choice is wrong. Maybe it's wrong for their own personal health interest, but it's really not affecting you so much anymore. It's It would be more like, you know, deciding not to wear a seatbelt or not a helmet when you're biking, something like that. Maybe a, maybe not the most uh, cautious decision for you, but it's not actually really undermining anyone else's safety. And, and at which point we need to kind of live and let live for goodness sake. Well, that's the thing. So it's like now that with Delta, you can get it. I mean, the the earlier uh, versions, variants of this of this virus were not as transmissible by people who had the vaccine. That was one of the early selling points of the vaccine. Um, but it is it is still transmissible if you've had the vaccine, especially Delta, that they find it in your nose. They found it. They that, That's why you can still get it from a vaccinated yeah. person. So I got it. I, I was vaccinated the- and I got it. I had a breakthrough case. Yeah. So it, so it happens now. But what that means is that you should get the vaccine to prevent yourself from getting hospitalized or from dying from covid, which is a real risk, especially if you are older. And but but the point is, it, it's not like driving while intoxicated. I can get covid from a vaccinated person or an unvaccinated person. Right. It's like it is nowhere near as reckless not to get the vaccine toward other people as getting behind the wheel of a car while driving. But this is how this group of people is being treated, even back to our other point, if they if they've had covid and they have natural immunity, which, by the way, the studies are are showing makes you more, more immune, more than with a vaccine. Um, Okay, so I think people are about they've had it. And more and more, we're seeing pockets of folks sort of rise up, push back. And there are two examples of that, of all places in New York City over the weekend. All right. So first, Mayor de Blasio went to this concert. Meghan Markle, Harry were there lecturing everybody about the environment before they got on their private jet to fly home. <laughs> of course. People suck. Um, <laughs> and, and Mayor de Blasio was there. And look at the reception he got. To protect our planet and every person on it, especially the young people at Globe, we will not let them down. Things are not a sacrifice, they are necessary. This is our 
To those who are listening and not watching on YouTube, um, you see a lot of middle fingers going up too. they're not accepting his message. And then I'll just I'll just partner that with my next soundbite, which is protesters in New York City. It's Staten Island, which is more red, but still New York City um, going to the food court of a mall, uh, which is only open to the vaccinated, basically with another middle finger for that policy. Uh, Watch and listen. That's it. We're going to go sit our butts down and we're going to eat. And uh, you see people waving the American flag. People on Twitter, leftists on Twitter, were I think were stunned that this took place in New York City, in any one of the boroughs of New York City. You're, you're only allowed. Remember, they think you're only allowed an exemption from covid mitigation restrictions if you're attending a Black Lives Matter protest. So or a Ruth Bader a Ginsburg morning. If you're, right, if you're right, morning right, or that. You, very important. If, you know, it's not it's not dangerous. Very important health exception because there isn't racism, the real pandemic. I mean, I mean, we're like we're making fun of this, but th- these were these are actual things that the health mm-hmm. officials came out and said what two summers ago. Um, look, I think I think people have to be over it because the goalposts have shifted so many times. First, we were told two weeks. This is going to be a two week thing. And then we'll go back to normal. And then it was actually we're going to hold on. We're going to do this until there until we have the vaccine. And then it was, OK, we're going to do this until everyone is able to get a vaccine who wants one. And then it's like, no, we're just going to do this stuff in depth forever, forever. There what will be like, I'm so afraid that officials that these things will remain in place. The masking, the I mean, we've seen this with terrorism, actually. Right. The, the TSA. You still take off your belt and your shoes to get on a plane, That's even a though point. we now know those things do not make anyone safer, like whatsoever. That they're, you know, the TSA routinely misses your items when you're going through the the, the knives and things like that. Um, it, it's all like for show. It's all theater, and that could I could easily see that still being the case for many of our COVID strategies. Will still be, you know, when you're in line uh, in, in DC in a, in a in a restaurant if you're going to like grab a grab a sandwich or something, you know, you're supposed to wear your mask when you're in line. But then if you actually sit down to eat it, well, then you can take it off. <laughs> it makes no Such sense whatsoever. But everybody is we're just doing it. It's crazy. No, it's absurd. At, at our school, um, at the end of October, the end of October. OK, so it's a, more than a month away. There's an outdoor sort of fair that they have at the end of the month. And uh, they've already issued an outdoor mask mandate for all the children. It's like, OK, <laughs> that's a month away still. We're actually getting Delta under control, according to most of the media reports in terms of its number of cases and so on. And it's outside. What are you what are you doing? It, it, to your point, it's just more of the comfort check, more of the taking the shoes off. That will do absolutely nothing other than tick people off. Um, OK, so I want to move on because I really want to talk to you about your book. I find this fascinating. Uh, by the way, I'm joined by Robbie Suave. He's author of the new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future. I'm here. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, he's got it right there. Okay. And you know what? We'll pick it up. We'll squeeze in a quick break. And then I want to pick it up because um, you, the, the book is really interesting. It talks about bias uh, and censorship at these organizations. And um, that's very timely because you got people like Nicki Minaj claiming that she was thrown in Twitter jail just for sharing her views on the COVID vaccine. Are you next? What does Robbie think? And why does his message make me feel better about big tech? Stay tuned. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show. I am joined today by Robbie Suave. It's a fun last name because it's spelled S-O-A-V-E. So you're like Sove? Suave? but it's Suave. And he's senior editor of Reason Magazine and author of the brand new book, Tech Panic, Why We Should Not Fear Facebook and the Future Out Tomorrow. Robbie, okay, so let's talk about this. Um, you Give me the overall theory of the book because you're going to be able to say it better than I can. Absolutely. So I have covered a lot of the big tech issues and I share a lot of the concerns that people, particularly on the right, have about censorship and bias and that kind of thing. So I am I am by no means making the claim that it's that doesn't exist or that's not happening. It is a problem. But I think a lot of people, and again, especially on the right, miss the tremendous benefit of social media. Social media has actually made it much easier to share opinions that depart from mainstream media orthodoxy or progressive uh, uh, viewpoints to, to get your message out there. And it, as evidence of that, I see a lot of people, uh, alternative voices and conservative voices doing really well on Facebook, on YouTube, on other places. So, so because so many of the solutions to, to the issue of censorship involve actually harming big tech or, or like breaking up Facebook, taking away its liability protection, all those kinds of things, I'm just saying, Okay, hold on. I, I see why you're upset. But if you did any of those things, I think it would actually advantage the left. It would advantage the mainstream media. And as evidence of that, I can point to the fact that Elizabeth Warren and The New York Times <laughs> support all these exact same policies, mm. probably because they realize it would actually hurt conservatives if you implemented them. Okay, what about I I love Vivek Ramaswamy, who made it big in the tech industry, in the, in the medical tech industry. And now he's out there. He, he wrote the book Woke Inc. And he's out there sort of fighting against this woke nonsense. He's using his powers and his monies for good. And um, he has he has a theory, he has a legal theory, along with Jed Rubenfeld of Yale Law School, who was married to Tiger Mom, Amy Chua, um, that we should be we should recognize big tech as essentially government actors for purposes of the First Amendment, that they're so large, they're so ubiquitous, they're in control of so much of our society, that we should treat them as they are government entities. And therefore, if they were subject to the First Amendment, which only state actors are, um, that would prevent viewpoint censorship. They would not they would not be allowed to censor your view just because it's conservative on their forums. What do you what do you make of that? I don't think the Supreme Court would be likely to agree with this theory. It's an interesting idea. It has it's been tested out. There was a preliminary court case a while back. And, and I, I respect Jed Rubenfeld immensely, but that position didn't win. So I, I just I don't think at the end of the day that that's going to be the case. I would also now I don't want them to be considered. They should not be considered state actors. The White House considers social media to be an extension of its own decrees mm. of its of its you know pandemic misinformation yeah but they're doing policy, the white house's bidding without without doing what would really be required of them which is fairness to the other side 
but they're doing it because they're afraid of the government coming after them if they don't. They're being so I, I talk for this book. I talk to people at Facebook. What goes into some of these really bad calls you made, like with the Hunter Biden story, for example, really egregious, biased stuff. Why do you do these things? And what I learn is that they do it because they're being ordered to do it by the mainstream media and by our own government. These people are 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 are, are say, saying we're going to we're going to hunt you down and destroy you or shame you, drag you through, uh, you know, public lynch mob for not doing more of this this kind of thing. We're demanding more of this. So I'm here thinking, well, maybe the problem isn't really social media. Maybe the problem is that we our mainstream media is actually the ver- is, is so censorship inclined, and our government wants this kind of censorship. We need to be fighting those people. We need to be calling them out. It actually harming so social media is is doing too much of what they want. I agree, but our our only way of fighting back is actually on social media. So we would limit our own outlet if we if we we, we would give actually the mainstream media exactly what it wants because Facebook is a competitor. It's an upstart competitor. Twitter is a competitor. YouTube is a competitor to to the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN, et cetera. They want to have a stranglehold over what you get to say, and social media has made that impossible, which is actually a good thing. Well, they they do seem very interested in, in serving those masters. I mean, they're they certainly kowtow to what the mainstream wants them to do and to what the government wants them to do a lot. But I think it it's no accident that it coincides with their own ideology, is it? And I mean, wh- why do we have to choose between fighting YouTube and fighting the mainstream media? Why do we have to choose between the inf- infantry and the cavalry? Like right. all hands on deck, let's fight them all. Yeah, but it, at any if you tune if you look at the top articles on Facebook at any given minute, they are from Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, Fox mm-hmm. News, Breitbart, The Daily Caller, Conservatives the Washington Examiner, use Facebook, for sure. It, it there it's it's a really it's probably it, it is arguably the most important to modern communication tool for getting out views that dissent from liberal orthodoxy. It has four and, times the reach of Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so important. I, I, I'm very worried we would shoot ourselves in the foot by doing something to disrupt it. Um, mm. You know, I do not want to go back to the era where I mean, cause the New York Times is never going to run an op ed by a Republican ever again. That was the message they took from the whole Tom Cotton debacle. Yes. So we, we like we cannot have these people have more. They want control over the conversation and we cannot let them have it. And I'm worried that a lot of the proposals to deal with so-called Big tech, and also the, the the censorship problem is coming from within. It's the employees at these tech companies. It's the woke employees. Mm. The, uh, the 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 people who run the companies don't necessarily want to do these things. They feel pressured internally because their 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 employees are so far left. They were educated. I think, I think I gotta like grow a pair. Yeah, they gotta grow yeah. a pair. You know, my favorite story: yeah. the whole woke two years that we've had at a minimum, I mean, like the explosion of woke was the Wall Street Journal when they had some 80 employees say, oh, you printed something by Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, right. who's amazing, by the way. Um, and you printed somebody else we didn't like and we're going to walk out. And the Wall Street Journal responded by saying, I, I totally get it. Understand your position. Bye. <laughs> you don't have to work here. No right. problem. Right. That's that's the right way to handle those employees. They don't run the joint until their name is under the masthead. They can get out or shut up. I mean, that those are your two uh, positions. OK, well, options. Yeah. 
I want to ask you about you say you have a position that the radicalized right does not essentially need to be feared in these formats. You say we should be doubtful that a precipitous increase in political violence is likely to follow insufficient online moderation. Boy, oh boy, is that the opposite of what we've heard from everybody in the wake of January 6th. And I thought your point about the Southern Poverty Law Center was a very good one because they and the ADL, uh, who just went after Tucker, he was on on Friday saying it, I quote, fuck them. Um, that they I didn't know really we could have, say that on your show. <laughs> yeah, you can go for it. That they've become these sort of partisan radical organizations, not these independent civility watchdogs. Yeah, these organizations uh, are always trying to convince you that extremism and hate are getting worse because they get more donations when these things are getting worse. So the way the Southern Poverty Law Center counts hate groups is is kind of ridiculous. If you look at their map, like this group could be eight people and it could even be like a black nationalist group. And then maybe they have a falling out. So it splits into two groups of four people. And then they, oh, the hate has doubled last year and it has something to do with Trump. <laughs> and Ben so Carson was on their list. They they labeled Ben right. Carson his own hate group or a terrorist. I can't remember what the exact label was, right. but they ultimately but As far as I can tell, social media actually de-radicalizes some people. It's, you know, the, the media is so obsessed with the idea that, you know, your poor, innocent little child is just innocently Googling you know, I don't know, whatever the Disney movie is, and then they'll suddenly come across Nazi content. Uh, that doesn't really happen. It doesn't work like that. It's more likely that Nazis will come across uh, a, a, harm, a, a, a centrist content that will steer them away from radicalization. And there <laughs> okay, are many so papers showing that now. So the, the fear about, does not. All right. So what about this this position that FaceTime, the, the whole like addiction, anxiety and depression, because your position on that and we've done stories on this, of course, as, as the mother of three kids, I worry about this. You know, the, we saw the social network, which showed us how Facebook is designed to be addictive and to keep you on there forever and to call information about you so that they know what will make you come on and they tap you on the shoulder digitally to get you to log on. And before you know, it, you've lost eight hours of your day or your kid has blah, blah, blah. You say correlation in terms of rising anxiety, depression rates, especially among teens, does not, it's not the same thing as causation. What do you mean? Yeah, I, I, I certainly think there are some addictiveness con concerns with social media and parents are well advised to tell their kids to get off their phones every now and then. I, 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 but we don't need any government intervention to do this, right? I don't when I was a when I was a kid I was limited to I was only allowed to play like one hour of video games a day so you, you my, that was I I would have been addicted to video games if not for that we can use that we can do that same thing we can empower parents to limit the amount of time kids spend on their phone no phones uh, in the bedroom because then they stay up all night they're tired and that's what I think the increase in anxiety is they're not they're not sleeping um, but if you look at the research. It seems to me like uh, some kids, uh, they do have negative uh, mental health outcomes because of social media, but also kids who are not on social media at all, they also have bad uh, mental health outcomes because they're, you know, they're kind of like loners who are not interacting with friends. They don't have friends. It looks to me like there's a, there's a good chunk of kids who are responsibly using social media or are using it in positive ways to connect with their friends. You know, think of the pandemic. I mean, the last two years, I, I think our, our young people are depressed because it was horrible. They were, they were forced to stay inside. School was shut down, extracurriculars. And I think social media was probably a net positive given that this was going on. It, it, was, it was something that we, like without that, they probably would have been even more depressed because of, mm -hmm. of what we went through. 
What about that, though? I don't really necessarily want the government to solve it for me, but you, you what about Facebook? What about, you know, Instagram? We just saw that terrible story about how that's led to increased suicidality um, amongst girls in particular who are all over Instagram seeing these perfect images. And as much as the moms and the dads say, sweetheart, that's not real. That is like Kim Kardashian's got as much cellulite on her ass as the average woman mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been filtered. Um, it doesn't, you know, dealing with like a 13 or 14 year old girl and trying to like really make her understand that on a gut level is tough. And so I look at, I'm afraid to even say this. So number one, shouldn't we just be pressuring the companies themselves to make a change, to make it less addictive and sort of less, I don't like crack. And number two, what if we did bring in the government? Because I hate to say it, but the Chinese, (laughs) I hate to cite the Chinese who are engaged in ethnic genocide for anything moral. But they are actually cracking down. They added a time limit for kids under 14 on their version of TikTok. They've banned nighttime use for teenagers. I'm like, should we be following the Chinese? I, the First Amendment will, I think, prohibit us ultimately from doing that. I, the, the video games, I think, is a, is a pretty good comparison because there were a lot of concerns that violent video games were making kids more violent. Uh, we now know that that research is totally bunk. And if anything, violent video games probably uh, deter the minority of kids who are violent because it gives them an outlet other than cre- than causing real violence. Uh, but anyway, the you know very important Supreme Court case authored by by Scalia, you know, the arch conservative saying violent video games are speech. You can't the, the government of the governor of San Francisco can't can't prohibit um, uh, 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 v- vendors from selling these games directly to kids because it's a First Amendment issue. So I, I think that I think that's a pretty direct comparison here. So I, I don't I've I, I, I don't think in a constitutional sense you can necessarily bring in the government. But I do, again, I do absolutely think parents should talk to their kids about their social media use. Um, if it's having a, a, and also we can absolutely put pressure on the companies to make different changes. Yes, the problem here is really Instagram. I, kids aren't even on Facebook, frankly. Facebook yeah. is becoming boomer book. But there all there will be a new technology, right? Now there's TikTok, there's, there's always something new. So this concern that, oh, we have to fix this is the thing we have to fix. Well, kids will eventually not be interested in that and there'll be something else. You know, glossy magazines probably had some of the same body image issues, which is not to say yeah. it was like it was 100%. correct to bring up those things and to talk about them. Um, it just doesn't okay. feel like a new problem or one the government is any more got likely to solve than these past ones. Robbie, so interesting. The book is Tech Panic. It's out tomorrow. I recommend it. You'll feel better as I did. Great to see you. Speaking of censorship, up next, the latest on Hunter Biden and the New York Post writer who's behind those stories. So Reb Romani's here next. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show, everyone. So much to go over today. I'm so excited about today's show. Uh, I am joined now by Sarab Amari. He is the op-ed editor at the New York Post and author of 
the unbroken thread, discovering the wisdom of tradition in an age of chaos. Uh, And of course, you know, the New York Post was behind the Hunter Biden story that was suppressed by all of social media right before last year's presidential election. Well, new emails uh, from Hunter Biden suggest the first son uh, has always tried to sell access to his famous father. And by the way, you know, other people now, Sarab, are late to the party. Um, I will say hat, hats off to Politico and, and Ben Schreckinger, who's written a book called The Bidens Inside the, Fam- the First Family's 50 Year Rise to Power, confirming some of your reporting. And that now, I guess, has given some in the mainstream media permission to finally admit that you had it right all along, but they're not exactly falling on their swords, are they? Yeah, no, um, Megan, thanks for having me on. I should just at the outset clarify that um, I help run the opinion pages. So I was not responsible for the reporting, the amazing reporting into the Hunter files that yeah, uh, my colleagues on the, the post. brought forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, uh, uh, look, I mean, it's um, the Johnny come lately attitude about this is frankly enraging from the point of view of people in our newsroom, um, because at the moment when it really mattered, when you had the kind of the entire big tech uh, intelligence community, the whole establishment coming against us, not just coming against us in words, but in genuine using coercive power, censoring us, uh, reducing circulation on our articles on Facebook, banning our Twitter account, even banning our readers from sharing uh, our Hunter Biden reporting uh, uh, in their direct private messages, let alone posting them to their public feeds. When all of that was happening, this whole, uh, you know, with a few honorable exceptions, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, a few others, the rest of the big media um, cheered the censorship, cheered calling it uh, misinformation without doing any reporting. And so, and, you know, the election had its outcome and we don't know how it would have been affected had our reporting been brought in front of the, uh, more of the American people, um, which it, they were barred from seeing it. So to, to say it now, it's, it's so typical, uh, I think, of our elites and our establishment where once um, the danger of some piece of reporting to the regime as a whole has been diffused and it's no longer a threat, then they'll come around and say, oh, yeah, maybe the New York Post had a point. Maybe we shouldn't have we shouldn't have called it misinformation without actually looking into this. Reporting. No, there's it, there's it no hurts. apology. There's no soul searching. They're not sorry. So, I mean, maybe to their credit, they're not being disingenuous now. Um, let's talk about what specifically Politico and Ben in particular have managed to uncover that dovetails confirms your own reporting, because I, I can read it to the audience, but I think you can make it more clear. As I understand it, there's um, OK. Number one, a person who had independent access to Hunter Biden's emails confirmed he did receive a 2015 email from a Ukrainian businessman thanking him for the chance to meet Joe Biden. That's one. And the second is uh, same goes for a 2017 email in which a proposed equity breakdown of a venture with the Chinese energy executives includes the line, quote, 10 held by H for the big guy. This person that they spoke with recalled seeing both emails was not in a position to compare the leaked emails word for word to the originals. But the 10 held for H for the big guy was a big story out of your story because it seemed to allude to Hunter 
striking this deal with Chinese energy executives and would reserve 10 percent for the man who is now president of the United States. Yep. So um, we didn't need this confirmation. We're grateful for it, obviously. Um, But anyone who actually looked at our reporting instead of falling for the Russian disinformation hysteria that was promoted by critics of the Post, anyone who paid attention to our story and then the aftermath, including reporting uh, at Fox News, would know that those emails uh, were what we claimed they were. Um, So just to just to rewind just a little bit. Yeah. What we originally published and had banned by Twitter was emails that showed, as you said, that um, Hunter Biden seemingly arranged meetings between his father, then vice president of the United States, the second most powerful man in the world, and the Obama administration's point man on Ukraine on the one hand, and executives from a shady energy firm called, a Ukrainian energy firm called Burisma that was paying Hunter Uh, upwards of $83,000 a month. And um, just a few points about this is that even at the time, and still today, neither Hunter nor his father have have flatly denied the authenticity of the emails that we put forward. Ever. Yep, that would have been the easiest way to challenge it. It's all fake. There you go. Then then the ball would have been in the the post court. Um, So they they not, and, and Hunter didn't even challenge the ownership of, a, of, the, of the laptop, when he was pressed on it later by a television interview, he said it being coy. Um, and then we brought further confirmation of the, of the uh, uh, Chinese transaction, which you alluded to with a 10, 10% held for the big guy, um, through a business associate of Hunter's, um, this guy, Babalinsky, who went on, on the record and said, you know, I'm a Democrat. Um, he's a former uh, intelligence officer, credible guy, and said that these that those Chinese emails were authentic because he was he was in on those um, communications. So, you know, like I said, it wasn't that our reporting was unsubstantiated before until Correct. political came around. Um, it was per, it was it was as substantiated as a story could get, and yet the New York Times, even as recently as a week ago called it unsubstantiated, and then they ninja edited their, their story without even correcting or anything. This is they ninja edited. Can you explain that? Because this is outrageous, and they have a pattern of doing this. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, there, there's just no basis for doing that. The The Federal Elections uh, Commission, we'll get to that later, but the Federal Election Commission basically said Twitter did not um, commit kind of election law wrongdoing by suppressing our Hunter Biden story. Um, and in reporting that decision, the New York Times appended the adjective unsubstantiated to our reporting. What's what part is unsubstantiated? Right. right. What has fallen it. apart? Not even the small details. Right. Like, uh, what, you know, it's not like we published the salacious content from the laptop, like Hunter with a, with with uh, uh, crack pipes and so forth. We didn't do that to humiliate Hunter Biden, but to show that we had what we claimed to have. We had the laptop. It was real. Um, and none of that came under any real scrutiny. And insofar as it did, it's withstood all scrutiny. So what's unsubstantiated? And then, Megan, you'll remember, compare that to reams of stories of the past four years published by left of center kind of prestige outlets, the likes of BuzzFeed and McClatchy and many others that did collapse under 
factual scrutiny. Supposedly, for example, um, President Trump suborning perjury from Michael Cohen um, mm-hmm. collapsed within a matter of hours. That story wasn't censored. And the New York Times doesn't refer to these types of reports as unsubstantiated without even claiming how it was unsubstantiated. It's also underhanded, so base. Um, then it raises your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, you can see, you know, the White House, the top Democrats, they dismiss anything from the New York Post, the Daily Caller, Fox News as having a partisan agenda and therefore must be you know, immediately dismissed. And so it, it was interesting to me to see, OK, now what are they going to say? Because they can't say that about Politico. They certainly can't say that Politico is a right wing organization. So now what are they going to say? And here was Jen Psaki at the White House being asked about this by Peter Ducey just this past Friday. And here's what she said. Thank you, Jen. Two topics really quick. First, the president has said, and you have tweeted, that allegations of wrongdoing based on files pulled from Hunter Biden's laptop are Russian disinformation. There is a new book by a political reporter that finds some of the files on there are genuine. Is the White House still going with Russian disinformation? I think it's broadly known and widely known, Peter, that there was a broad range of Russian disinformation back in 2020. That's it. That's as much as she's willing to say. We went back and checked the full context just to make sure she hadn't, you know, then fallen on the sword. She didn't. They're still going with disinformation. They will never acknowledge it, even though the truth is as plain as the nose on your face. You know what's really um, disturbing about all this? I've talked about this before, but I can't get over it. The Russian disinformation um, charge, which has been an, an obsession of the liberal elite for the past four or five years, but with respect to the Hunter files, the Russian disinformation charge really got its wings after 50 intelligence officials, including you know, General Hayden and, and others, uh, wrote that letter in which they said, um, if you'll remember, we don't have any evidence that the Post's Hunter files reporting is Russian dif- disinformation. Nevertheless, it bears all the indicia or it bears all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. <laughs> so, you know, and, and so you, and then you'll see the names, right? So, uh, director of CIA, former deputy director of operations at, any, at the NSA, and so on and so forth. And it lends it this sort of official credibility. But what is the role of the press when 50 top spooks claim something about one of two um, uh, uh, pr- major party presidential candidates? Is it to serve as stenographers and just parrot whatever the intelligence officials said? Or is it to investigate and see, okay, is it true or not? That's not, they did not investigate. They did not question. They acted like stenographers for General Hayden and the like. Like, Oh, yes, sir. It is Russian disinformation. And see, the the 50 intelligence officials say it's Russian disinformation. Uh, Megan, you know that the news business has to be in a somewhat adversarial position mm-hmm. with unaccountable power. And there's no more unaccountable power, I, I would argue, in this country than these intelligence agencies, right? They can they can drone people out of the sky without really anyone having much oversight over what they do. So when they come out and tip the scales on a, on a major news story and lend their names to a campaign to suppress a major news story by America's oldest continuously published newspaper, The Daily Post, you would expect other reporters to say, hey, wait a second, is that true? Uh, let's check in, let's, let's, let's question. No, mm-hmm. they all right. just Instead sort of you get the, it, 
it looks like it looks like disinformation. It's like it reminds me of there's this weird meme online that and people actually write me and ask me this question that says, I look a lot like Nicole Brown Simpson. And people actually write me notes saying, are you Nicole Brown Simpson? I'm like, Nicole Brown Simpson was OJ Simpson's ex-wife when she was murdered by him back in the early 1990s. So said a civil court jury at the time. She sadly is no longer with us. And I am not Nicole Brown Simpson, even though I admit I do look a little bit like her. That That is not the end of the query. You have to go look for ascertainable, verifiable facts to figure out whether your theory might be correct. And they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because they wanted it to be disinformation. They wanted the Hunter Biden story to go away. They wanted anything that could hurt Biden to go away because they had Trump derangement syndrome. And when you look back, Sarab, on the what the media said, okay, so so uh, Facebook, Twitter, they did their part to suppress it immediately, saying, oh, it doesn't comply with our policies. It's got uh, hacked materials. That's what Twitter said. But my team pulled um, some of the some of the examples. OK, uh, let's see. See, the mainstream media completely ignored the story. They completely ignored the story when it broke. CNN did not address it at all. Uh, ABC, CBS and NBC all censored the bombshell from their evening newscasts. Uh, NBC finally mentioned it on October 15th, days after it was broken, uh, for the purpose of questioning the, quote, dubious stories legitimacy. That's how they get on record that they covered it, just to say it's dubious and we question its legitimacy. And they refer to you guys as a tabloid, right? So this is like basically the star. This is the National Enquirer. You know, this is the sun, whatever. Um, ABC, Good Morning America, skipped it altogether. CBS, uh, they discussed it for less than two minutes on October 15th. MSNBC largely ignored it, except to have George, George, Joe Scarborough come on, dismiss it as false on the October 15th broadcast and say it's much better for Twitter to let people read the New York Post article and sit there and laugh at the hokey story. So this is one of the stupidest October surprises in recent memory. MSNBC producer Kyle Griffin on Twitter. No one should link or share that New York Post report. Reporters in quotes. You can discuss the obvious flaws and unanswerable questions in the report without amplifying what appears to be everyone together. Disinformation. New York Times. High, highly suspicious and covering it. NPR talked about it as unsubstantiated. Washington Post published an explainer detailing all the many flaws in the story. They ignored Tony Bobolinsky when he spoke to Tucker. I could go on. You, it's important to go back and remember what they were saying because they were all wrong and they didn't care. They just wanted to take you guys down because you published a story that wasn't good for H. H's dad. Well, look, I, I want to defend the honor of tabloids. I've worked at both um, uh, broadsheet newspapers. I was at the Wall Street Journal for five years and then, um, you know, uh, three years now at the New York Post. And um, I have to say that the, the actually what we really need is the spirited kind of journalism that tabloids do and have done, which actually has much deeper roots in American journalism. American journalism in the in the, in the 18th and 19th century was a lot more like tabloid uh, journalism. It's, it's a relatively recent phenomenon of the, of, the, of the 20th century, of the age of kind of the rise of managerial class capitalism, that you have these, these newspapers that have this sort of objective voice where they, they claim to stand above various parties and, and, and not, to, not to have that spirit, that spunk of, 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 of a tabloid. And it worked insofar as these outlets still had a degree, the, the, the 
kind of mainstream, polite, uh, quote unquote, objectives, when they were actually curious, when they when they they were willing to call it as they saw it and to, to go after both sides. But now when you have these outlets that are so nakedly and obviously partisan, so obviously reflecting um, a, a kind of elite consensus that dominates not just media, but big tech and, and academia, academia and corporations and so forth. When they, when they do that, when they're so partisan, it actually, it reveals how hollow their claims to objectivity are. They're, you know, mm-hmm. a, a curious outlet would be like, hey, let me actually just, let me just look into this, right? Let me put two editors and three reporters and see, I'm sure the New York Post is full of crap. So let me debunk it with that. Mm-hmm. None of them This will be that. easy, right? Well, and plus, I mean, let's be real. The New York Post tabloid is one thing, but it is not the, the, the magazine that's telling me in the supermarket checkout aisle every week that Jennifer Anderson is pregnant again, that some aliens came down and have like taken over Chicago, but whatever. <laughs> the New York Post has broken a lot of big stories. So that term gets, I think, bandied about a little bit too loosely. Um, and, you know, it, even the true tabloids like the National Enquirer broke stories like the, the John Edwards affair that had massive national implications. Um, I want to ask you about... Um, where all this takes us, right? Because I feel like they, they, there will be no acknowledgement and the next big story and the next big election cycle that comes down, that's bad for the Democrats is likely to be treated the same because they've gotten away with it scot-free from the FEC to the press, just acting in uniform to not be apologetic for their mistakes, to make the mistakes and then not be apologetic for them. So what does that mean? I mean, what do we, what do we have as a fact checker, as, as a truth meter? What do we have? So I'm relatively pessimistic about this. I think that um, uh, our elite, beginning in 2015-16, really freaked out at two things. One was Brexit, and then followed a few months later by the election of Donald Trump. Two movements that challenged the whole post-Cold War consensus because they reflected the frustrations of vast swaths of, of the West, the United States and Europe, who, who just feel like this new order hasn't served them well, hasn't served their families well, their jobs have been offshore, um, they, uh, they're they not happy with open borders and labor arbitrage, leaving them at a disadvantage. So they turned to populist movements, really freaked out our elites. And so they are now, I think, um, more unified, the elites, than ever before. And some of, when I say elites, it's not just the left, it also includes lots of um, kind of traditional GOP uh, establishment types. They're all sort of this one uniparty that is now aware itself of itself in this way and is prepared to deploy ever harder power against any challenge to their power. So they will um, deploy big tech. It's not like big tech censorship has been chastened since the Hunter affair. Um, it's happening just as much as before. And it wasn't, by the way, just Hunter. We also published a story on the origins of COVID where a, an opinion writer from, for us just speculated. He didn't say that the, the, the coronavirus originated in a lab. He just said it could have because Wuhan just happens to be the site of um, uh, China's main virology lab where they can do this kind of work. This was in the early parts of the pandemic. And again, he didn't say it definitively. He just speculated. And Facebook uh, censored that story. So any challenge that comes, I think they've they've created this mechanism to silence it. And unfortunately, the way it works is, as we've said, 
after the fact, when it becomes overwhelming, they all shift and say, huh, yeah, maybe the post had a point. Maybe Megyn Kelly had a point. But it doesn't matter because in the, in the moment when there is a real contest, they've suppressed one side and they're very successful at it. So mm-hmm. I think this needs a political solution. It's not a matter of what you and I can individually do beyond calling it, calling it out. We, you know, Congress uh, at lawmakers who don't want us to go in this direction, if there's any left, need to act politically, uh, especially against big tech. I think it's so much bigger than just, oh, the post got screwed or Trump got screwed, you know, because this story that wasn't so great about his opponent didn't get wider circulation or wasn't allowed to be circulated by some forums. It's, you know, when I saw those people on on the Capitol on January 6th, having lost total trust in the system, capital T, capital S, and, you know, had gone down YouTube rabbit holes on all sorts of Dominion voting machines. And so, right. How did that happen? How do these guys get to the point where they would believe anything like as, as outrageous as you could spin it? You know, like the our election was being controlled from some foreign country on the, all that. How did it happen? They don't trust the media anymore. They believe that conservative viewpoints or anything that was helpful for Trump are being stifled, manipulated, su- suppressed. And they're not wrong about that. And this is this is a piece of evidence on their side. This is what I've been trying to say all along. When people do this navel gazing, the mainstream media, they look at those folks with in horror. You know, it's not to excuse anything they did. It's to try to have a genuine understanding of how how they get there. How did it? Yes, of course. Yes. Trump's rhetoric and Trump's statements and Sidney Powell. Yes, that's obvious. But there, it's more complex than that. And until we get honest about how all the suppression, only one sided, mostly one sided and so on has factored into the distrust, we're not going to solve it. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, like you, I, I work in mainstream media and I've gotten to the point where if I see a New York Times story, if I see a Washington Post story, um, I used to just look at it and say, eh, yeah, that's probably true. Now I'm like, unless I see, uh, you know, 15 other outlets <laughs> reporting it and, and, and more sources, I'm just going to assume it's false. And be, or, or I'm going to ask, what, what, what are they pushing here? What's the agenda behind this? Again, I'm, I've become that kind of mistrustful. You know what? One crazy moment for me, and this isn't really the media, but it's the establishment as a whole. The thing I can never get out of my head was when um, in the early months of the pandemic, you know, any gathering was unlawful and we have to crack down on Orthodox Jews holding funerals for the rabbis in New York, uh, you know, uh, any kind of small business protest against lockdowns. It's just terrible. It's going to create a COVID holocaust. And then the, the George Floyd riots happen and a thousand public health officials say, well, actually, you know, racism is the bigger virus and um, it's almost mandatory for people to participate in these mm-hmm. other sort of Black Lives Matter protests. Um, if you go through the experience like that, and there were a number of them like that episode that I just recounted, I think at some point, you've, as a sort of your sense of knowledge about the world becomes so unstable because you realize, okay, everything is political with these mm-hmm. people. You shouldn't trust anything. So it's no surprise to me, as you said, that, you know, yes, conspiracy theorists make a killing in the marketplace of ideas um, because of what elites do. It's these kinds of things. No protest, except if, it, if it's Black Lives Matter, then the virus knows not to attack yeah. you because don't it, make it so easy for them. Don't make positive. it so don't make the ground so fertile for those conspiracy theories. Maybe that would help fight it. Um, this is a great point on which to leave it for our, our two minute advertisement. Um, 
or maybe it's only one minute. I actually have never timed it out. But anyway, um, the reason I want to leave it there is because there's there's a great piece out. Now, Sorab Amari, Amari is my guest today. He's the opinion editor at the New York Post. And up next, I want to talk to you about The Lancet. That's a leading medical journal that's found a new way to describe and basically erase women. And we're going to get Sarab's reaction to that, right? This is what the, the medical community has gone woke. And it's one of the reasons that we don't trust them either. Many of us don't have the same trust in them as we used to. Uh, it's deeply problematic. How do you feel about all of this? We'd love to hear about your thoughts on Facebook's influence on the suppression of the Hunter Biden story uh, and on the 12,000 Haitian migrants now roaming the United States without COVID tests and without the vaccines, as you may lose your job if you don't have one. Call us at 833-44-MEGAN, M-E-G-Y-N. That's 833-446-3496. Would love to hear from you. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show, everyone. I'm joined today by Sarab Amari. He's the op-ed editor at The New York Post and also author of the great book, The Unbroken Thread, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. We're going to be taking your calls here shortly. What are your thoughts on the Hunter Biden suppression story and the White House continuing to say it's disinformation? And what did you think of Robbie Suave saying that social media is not as bad as we've been led to believe? Call me, 833-44-MEGYN. That's 833-446-3444. Nine six. All right, so Reb, so let's talk about some cultural stories in the news right now because my stomach was turning as I read some of these things this morning. The Lancet, right? Very well-respected medical magazine. This is picking up on our last discussion of the breakdown in trust of these medical experts, like the thousand who told people they had to protest during BLM, notwithstanding COVID, because the virus could distinguish why you were out there. <laughs> That's my ad. Um, now The Lancet has come out as a leading medical journal, and it's got an article titled Periods on Display. The article examines an exhibition exploring the taboos and history of periods, menstrual cycles, at the Vagina Museum in London. So as soon as you're done with your trip on the eye, you can swing by, you can go see Shakespeare, and then you can go to the Vagina Museum because, you know, I mean, it is awesome. It deserves its own museum. But <laughs> anyway, the writer there uses the word women in passing, but also refers to women as, and I quote, bodies with vaginas, in quote, an attempt to be inclusive to trans people. So the, the quote on the front of the page of the journal's front page reads, historically, the anatomy and physiology of bodies with vaginas have been neglected. Your thoughts on this? Well, it's, um, it, it's amazing. It's the end point of a certain kind of liberation-seeking uh, liberalism, frankly. And its endpoint is, is paradoxically the erasure of actual women, right? I mean, this, mm-hmm. what's, what lies behind, let's make it clear, the reason they say bodies with vaginas instead of women is that the ludicrous notion that there are men with uh, uh, vaginas, right? They're, that there are really men, mm-hmm. trans men, but they happen to have vaginas, therefore you shouldn't say women. That's the the idea, the immediate ideological axe that that sentence is grinding. But looking looking beyond that, what you're getting is the whole idea embedded in um, 
in, in liberalism, but especially in its in its post-war sex liberationist variety, which is that um, we should not be defined by the bodies that we receive from nature, that the, the concept of man and woman as such is somehow oppressive. And we should try to overcome that. And we can overcome that with the help of medical technology. And if enough people culturally just use the right language, we can erase men and women as these oppressive categories. We can transcend them. But how does it work out? It works out to the, to, to the, to the erasure of women. Not only is it the deprivation of any sense of, for example, private space, which is a result of gender ideology that women cannot have their own spaces, whether that's in prisons or in spas or what have you, um, by, by, by getting rid of the uh, category of biological sex as a meaningful category, you ultimately erase women. And it wasn't the only one. You, you saw also, I bet, Megan, the tweet from the American Civil Liberties Union um, mourning uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a... Um, passing a year later where they edited the quote mm -hmm. to have to get rid of women they added uh in brackets people people and and, and got rid of um sh references to she her and women because mm -hmm. in the context of abortion in the context of, of celebrating abortion rights so obviously i i vehemently oppose it altogether but at least ruth bader ginsburg um for all her pro-abortion um advocacy recognized that there are men and women, that there are that our, our species has two sexes, and that these two sexes are ultimately immutable. That it's impossible to go from from one to the other. That doesn't mean we should um, not show compassion to people who suffer from gender dysphoria and think they were born into the to the wrong body. But to actually say no, 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 <laughs> there really are you know possibility of of men with cervixes and vaginas mm -hmm. and and women with penises is absurd, right? And yet, By that's the way, they, they, they don't really do it the other way. It's not, it's not nearly as much done the other way. I don't read like an article in The Lancet about how um, men with vaginas um, have a higher risk of heart attack. You know, it's always like it's always the, the other way around. Like the trans women have got to erase biological women. Otherwise, we're all bigots. And it's so frustrating for somebody like me. I know trans people. I want to be respectful of trans people. I think most trans people think this is insane and don't want to see this and don't think this is inclusive. They would like to just be referred to just as women and then not not to change anything and not for everybody to have to say their pronouns. This is activism having an effect um, on people who are just way too willing to kowtow to this small percentage that considers themselves woke. But since they run our medical journals, and in, even in some situations, our medical schools, we need to worry about it. Remember the, the Barry Weiss Substack article? I think it was Katie Halper doing the reporting, saying that now in medical schools, you're not allowed to distinguish between women and men. And it's causing real problems because women have different medical medical risks than men do. And one needs to actually be able to make a determine about the biology of the patient in front of them. Yeah, I, th I think though that the the one phenomenon that, that uh, we agree is bad, right? The woke uh, imposition is ultimately an outgrowth of, of, of gender ideology as such, of the idea that men and women can really um, are, are interchangeable mm -hmm. um, because for a certain, for, for the ideology that lies behind all this, it's not enough for me to be allowed to change my uh, sex, to, to mutilate myself and, and uh, you know, uh, cut off my penis and carve a kind of pseudo vagina 
and, and change my name to Sabrina. It's not enough for me to be allowed to do those things. I won't feel like I'm really a quote unquote woman unless you, Megan, say so. You have to actively affirm that I'm a woman. Otherwise, the experiment doesn't quite work. There's and I have to sense. lose my label of a woman. I, I I have to lose something that's important to me, my identity as a woman, as a person who actually does menstruate, a woman who menstruates, who has babies, who breastfeeds from my breasts because I'm a woman. I I hate that like chip by chip, they they cut away at womanhood in an effort to be supportive with no thought whatsoever to how that makes biological women feel. Yep. Um, I mean, it's, it's, we're getting to a point where the top female athletes in any given field <laughs> will, will soon be, uh, will soon be biological males. And again, I think that the key is, and here's an area where I think social conservatives and traditional feminists can set aside their core disagreements, let's say on abortion, yeah. and insist on on biological reality. Because yeah. it's not just the, and I'm not saying that's not important, that the, the loss of femininity as a, as, a, as a biological reality is really important. But there's some deeper thing going on, which is the loss of our sanity, right? To be forced to affirm things that are patently absurd. Mm-hmm. You keep saying it, you, you keep doing it, and elites force you to do it. And, it, you know, they're setting up disciplinary mechanisms at many universities and corporations where you have to <laughs> list your own pronoun and, 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 and respect these absurd kind of plural pl- pronouns for singular people and so forth. Do that enough and you, you accustom people to tolerate totalitarianism. The core of totalitarianism is to, is, is to, to force you in a humiliating way to say what you know is not true. Mm-hmm. So it oh puts us all in the position of Václav Havel's greengrocer, you know, the famous parable he says, but he's a greengrocer in communist uh, uh, Czechoslovakia. And he's forced to put up a, a sign outside that says, you know, workers of the world unite, go to the communist party. And what's humiliating about it is that he doesn't believe in that. And the communist authorities themselves don't believe in it. And they know that he doesn't believe in it. But you're forced to, if they force you enough to just do this, they kind of debase you. And so we have to, we have to be willing to, individually at least, to, to say the truth and not fall into the language it's game. Happening you give so the language much. game, you lose you, much else. You have to say bodies with vaginas. You have to say your pronouns. You have to accept that, that systemic racism justifies the protest during the George Floyd, the wake of his death versus anybody else going out there, that that's not okay. You have, you have to have the mask over your face. Even if you've been vaccinated, you have to get the jab. Even if you've got natural immunity, I started the show by saying like, I am feeling like the water's rising. It's rising up above my mouth, my mouth, and it's heading from my nose. And I see it on the streets. Just last night we were riding around and, um, I saw signs up like free speech now while you still can. And Rihanna of all people had some t-shirt that was making the rounds online saying something about free speech and the touting the ability to still express your opinion. I just think something's happening. We're we're going to be getting to a critical critical mass to a crit- to a breaking point. There was an incident on the New York City subway system. Back to New York because when this stuff happens in New York, you know better than anybody Sarab, it says something. This is not Portland. New York City's not Portland. And there was a woman, I'll play the sound but I want to tell the audience who's listening what they're what they're listening to. It's a woman 
She's, I would say, I don't know, late 30s, early 40s, an Asian woman. She's got black hair. She's pulled back in a bun. She's wearing a black shirt and she's pulling down the ads that you see in the New York City subways that are sort of above where you sit because they're ridiculous. They're from OkCupid. They're celebrating, quote, every single non-monogamist and other like pansexuals and bears and fetishists and submissives and all these other different groups with like pictures of women in a threesome getting it on. I mean, they're dicey pictures. She's had enough. And so have the people around her. She's the main talker. Listen here. It's gross, she's saying. No, it's not. It's wrong. This is propaganda. Yeah. This is Normalizing. Normalizing. Yeah. This is the next generation. Yeah. Because I don't know why. No, like, no one sees this. No. This is disgusting. Because TV told them not to, not to get, uh, not to get upset and wear the mask. We're going over there. Let's go to the back. These are New Yorkers. All shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, you name it. A typical New York subway where you get everybody, right? No, nobody's saying don't do that. Nobody's saying leave those ads up. The, her, the people on that subway are pissed, too. They don't want to look at this as they're taking their kids from A to B. It's everywhere. So, so Megan, I, I can't help it. The, the book you see behind me, my book, The Unbroken Thread, um, in the introduction, I open up by saying that I wrote this book for my son trying to transmit, you know, the, the basics of, of the Western uh, uh, Christian and classical moral tradition to him. Maximilian. Why did I write why did I write the book for him? It's because I, when he was one year old, we live in New York City, and we got on the subway and we saw a different set of OkCupid ads, basically promoting polyamory um, uh, and also to be behaviors that um, are sexually deviant. And my thought was, what if my son were a little older at that point? And he asked me, you know, Baba, as he calls me, you know, what's polyamory? You know, what's, what's, uh, what's sadomasochism? Why? You know, why am I as a parent put in a situation in which um, the culture is so debased, so vulgar? So I say, um, God bless that woman. May God bless her and keep her. Um, And this, in a way, I I, I will say this. This just goes to show um, that one orthodoxy or other will dominate our societies. There'll never be a situation in which we have total neutrality. The promise of liberalism, especially post-war, was that you just, you know, we can't agree on anything, so let's kind of allow everything. And what we see now, 50, 60, 70 years later, is that um, good things have been banished from the public square, and this conglomeration of woke government activist types and large corporations that profit off of our debasedness, um, combining to send create a civilization that's really ugly, is really ugly. And, and it's, it's a civilization that's overtly anti-family, overtly anti-child, right? So it surrounds you with pro-polyamory messages. Meanwhile, kids have to wear masks um, playing outdoors. It's, it's, as you said, the water is rising. And I, 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 I look forward to the reaction, let me say it that way. If they, if they don't manage to suppress it um, and it's organizing, the, 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 the regime that we live under is becoming unbearable. The water is really rising. Stand up, fight these battles. You are not alone. Don't let them shame you. 
You're not alone. There are millions, tens of millions of Americans who have had it with this BS. And unless we all speak up hard, though, it may be shame that may come from the press, Twitter, whatever. We're going to lose. We're going to lose our right to free speech. We're going to lose our general commitment to morality in in a civilized life where we respect one another. We recognize differences between men and women. We respect our children's right to their innocence for as long as we can possibly give it to them. This is bullshit. That stuff infuriates me as a mother, and I am with that woman, just like the other people on the subway were. So, Rab, the book is so good. I read it before our last interview, and I recommend it to everybody because, man, did he see this coming? And we could go back. I mean, you should go go listen to that full podcast because we talked about the David French thing. Boy, oh, boy, are you proven right every day on that dispute. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go listen to my last podcast with Sarab. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Megan. I feel so passionately about it. I really do. And we're lucky to have guys like that who can frame it for us in the right way, who write about it, who think about it, who can see the war coming and and sort of help us understand the tools to fight it. Uh, But you are not alone if you think that bodies that have vaginas are the bodies of women, that those are women's bodies (laughs) and that we don't need some medical journal renaming us right? To take away something that happens to be important to us. And frankly, that most trans people would not want taken away from us. Anyway, uh, call me. Taking your calls now, 833-44-MEGYN. Let me know what you think about the nonstop pushing of sex and gender on our children everywhere in public. 833-446-3496. That's next. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Welcome back, everybody. The phone lines are open. Give us a call at 833-44-MEGYN. That's 833-446-3496. We're going to start with our first caller, who is Julie in California. Julie, what's on your mind today? So I really appreciate your passion and the passion of your last guest. And it's really really a weird time. So this is the year I hit 50, and it kind of was a... uh, I wouldn't say depressing birthday, but not what I expected my 50th birthday to be. Mm-hmm. And I think with age, we are seeing, like you're saying, that so many of these things that are happening are so devastating for us as a community, as family members, as citizens. And my real struggle in the last two years has been, what, what am I supposed to do here? How can I make a change? And everything you say is so relevant and so on topic. But what, what I think people miss is that all this stuff has such dire consequences. And they have to be looking at it. They're fighting the war, the fight between us and you and your guests. We're all fighting it. But it's really the target is not us. The target is our children. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones they're coming for. And so I feel as though 
we have to look really seriously at consequences, not just the free speech and gender, you know, um, words that we use and how we refer to people. But I, I really look at this as child abuse. Yeah. And I think we legally, legally, because I don't know what else to do, need to fight this with attorneys against abuse of our children. And I don't know how to do that. I hear you. What a good comment. I when I when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about this interview I gave to Gad Sad for his podcast. And I love him. If you don't know Gad, you got to Google him. He's amazing. He's a professor at university up in Canada. And um, he was talking about how he had a panic attack recently and wasn't sure why. And we talked about it. And I was saying, I I have been finding I am especially angry right now. I've I've been noticing myself just quicker to anger. And it's the stuff you're talking about. It's what you just said, Julie. It's like this feeling of powerlessness over my kids, over my country, over my society, over things that should be no brainers. Like my kid should not have to be looking at pictures of a threesome on the New York City subway. My kid should not have to have a mask on while outside celebrating homecoming a month from now. You know, my my kid, if they're at Oberlin College, should not be told that they have to sit in their room alone while they eat. They should not be told by some CNN analyst that they should never be able to leave their house if they're unvaccinated. It's all of this stuff is just corrosive. And the stuff about gender, you know, you try to counter program that at home. You don't want to sound like a bigot. You don't want to create a bias against people who are trans. I always try to point out the difference between the group and their activists. Um, But I hate that I'm being forced to even go there. You know, why can't the message just be so much more reasonable? So I don't I don't have the answer. I mean, I do think it's important to fight the rhetorical battles, right? I think it's important when critical race theory finds its way into your school to fight if you if you can't leave. Leave if you can. You vote with your, with your feet by walking away. Ultimately, they need they need people. They need money. Um, and on gender, I think we do have to stand up no matter what they call you. Look at J.K. Rowling. Yes, she's got billions, so it's a little easier, but she had skin in the game there. You know, and so whatever your pocket of the world is, you stand up and you say what you know is reasonable, loving, but reasonable. Um, I guess that's a start. You know, that's a start. Uh, Thank you so much for the call. Such a thoughtful, uh, thoughtful uh, take on on the matter. Uh, Matt from Ohio. What's your thought? Hi. Hi. um, I just want to know, like. How how should someone combat like the whole diversity, equity, inclusion thing that's being introduced into their workplace? I actually just started a committee or started um, in the committee. I, I volunteered and I'm sitting here listening to him talk about it. And I hear diversity. I hear equity. But that inclusion word they don't use. And it's to me, it's 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 a uh, it's not a balance. and so. I feel like people aren't going to feel included because they're so focused on diversity and equity. So how do you think you got to jump in there and you've got to say the hard thing, which is no anti-racism is racism. We all have the same goal. None of us wants racism, but your policies are racist. What you're asking us to do is racist. It'll cause more racism. I recommend going to the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism's website. I'm on the board. They've got great tools for parents in fighting this stuff. That's a start. Uh, All right, we'll leave it there for today, but we've got a lot more to go over tomorrow when Tulsi Gabbard joins us. In the meantime, you can download episodes of The Megyn Kelly Show on Apple, Pandora, Stitcher, also YouTube.com slash Megyn Kelly. We'll see you tomorrow.
NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.